25th, 1961, President Kennedy made a call to our country. And uh, his call to our country was that we would, by the end of the decade, send a person to the moon and bring them safely back to earth again. He said, I believe that this nation should commit itself to, to, I gotta get my glasses on here, trying to read without my glasses. Yeah, itself to achieve the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. That's what he challenged our country to do. And it was a rallying cry to our country. We think of these rallying cries through the years. We think of um, um, civil rights. I'm, I'm losing it. What's his name? I have a dream. Martin Luther King. I have a dream. And that speech was a rallying cry for civil rights. I wasn't alive for the one that uh, Kennedy said, and I wasn't alive for the one that King said. But I do remember George W. Bush standing on the rubble of the World Trade Center right after 9-11 when somebody said, we can't hear you. And he said, what did he say? The people who knocked these buildings down are going to hear from all of us soon. And that was a rallying cry. Rallying cries are, are the things that, that bring us together, that cause us to, to strive in ways that maybe we wouldn't ordinarily do, but we have a goal, we have a purpose, we have something that we're called to do. Tonight, I want to just share with you nothing new, but just look again at a passage that calls us with a cry that's even more important than landing a person on a moon or any political speech that could be made. It's found in the book of Philippians. Turn with me, if you will, to Philippians chapter two, a familiar passage. And yet I think it emphasizes something tonight that I want us as a congregation to be committed to in a new, in a fresh way. That this ministry year, as God gives us opportunity, that we would together be committed to something that I believe honors the Lord and is meaningful, not just here, but for eternity. Philippians chapter two, verse one says, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who... Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and those on who are in heaven and those on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. I think this passage helps us to see that as believers who are in God's family, tonight I believe just about every person here is trusting Christ. If not, I pray tonight that you'll turn to him and trust him alone for your salvation. But many of us are part of this church family. And as members of God's family, we must together become more like Jesus and fulfill Christ's mission for our church. We must do that together, not as individuals like marbles just bumping up against each other, but as, as one, as one body, we must be committed to growing, to be more like Christ and finish the mission that God has for us here in our church. And I wanted to just share for a few minutes from this passage how I see that unfolded. You know, life is tough at times, and it seems like it's getting tougher and tougher. And I can remember as a young child thinking, you know, how in the world is this mark going to happen? You know, right. You're not going to buy anything, right. And now you can kind of just see these things happening and the pressure on Christians who are committed to truth it seems like it's never been more pressure than now and we face these things, but that's not new. These believers that, that Paul is writing to knew what it was like to suffer. In fact, we read in chapter two, if you look, look back in chapter one, just a couple of verses, notice that they were facing pressure. Okay? It says in verse 20 and 28, in no way alarmed by your opponents. They had opponents. Verse 29, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to what? Suffer, suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. These believers were facing tough times and Paul is writing to them and says, hey, we're in God's family and we must together cultivate Christ's likeness, become like Christ." And we must fulfill the mission that he's given for us as a church. And so I would just say from this passage, two things tonight, two things from this passage. Number one, no matter how difficult life gets, remember the blessings of being in God's family. No matter how difficult life gets, there are the blessings of being in God's family. What's it say in chapter two, verse one? Therefore, if there's any encouragement. Therefore, if there is any encouragement, therefore, since this is true, it's, it's not an if, like maybe it is and maybe it isn't, but he says, since this is true. Okay. And he's going to tell them really the blessings of being in God's family. If you're a believer, if you're trusting Christ tonight, you're in God's family. I mean, I don't know if you ever thought, man, it'd be nice to be in that person's family. When you're growing up, you know, you see the big house and you see all the things, you know, oh, yeah, it'd be kind of nice to get to do that, you know. But understand, as believers, we're in God's family and there's blessings. Aren't you glad to be in God's family? Even though it's tough at times, 
The world's pressing you in. Paul says, no matter how difficult it gets, remember the blessing of being in God's family. What's verse one? Tell us that the blessings are of being in God's family. Do you see it in verse one? I see four blessings of being in God's family. It says, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, encouragement in Christ. Hey, listen, if you're in God's family, you're in Christ. Have you thought about the fact that being in Christ is incredible and it's blessing? I'm no longer viewed as Tracy. I'm viewed as being covered in Christ righteousness. Okay. Think about being in Christ. What does that mean? Can you think of any verses in the Bible that tell us the blessing of being in Christ? Can you think of any? Pastor just did a series that maybe one of them come to your mind. Romans 8, verse 1, therefore, if any man, he is, if, if they're in Christ, there's no condemnation. No condemnation. Are you a sinner? I am. And there's no condemnation to us if we're in Christ. God views us with Christ righteousness. Is that a blessing? You seem a little down right now. Are you down? All right. Look at the person next to you. Make sure they're awake. Okay. Let it remind them. If you're a believer, you're in Christ. Tell them that. All right. That means there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. That's awesome. You think of any other verses about being in Christ? I think of 1 Thessalonians 4. It says, when Christ comes back, those who are dead in Christ will be raised. And that's cool. Well, what's it say? And so we shall ever be with the Lord, never separated from those who we know and love who are in Christ and will be together with the Lord. Is that a blessing of being in Christ? No matter how tough it gets, they can't take that away from you. And tonight, understand, no matter how tough it gets, there are blessings. And don't forget, remember the blessings of being in Christ. Forgiveness, confidence, righteousness, hope. And that's yours in Christ. Well, what's he say? Not only, and by the way, does that encourage you? And that's what he says. The encouragement of being in Christ. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, consolation of love. The idea of consolation of, of love is, is the idea that, that we have comfort. We have comfort when we're troubled. And, and who, is, who, who loves you? If, if you're in God's family, who loves you? God does. He's poured his love out on you. I mean, if I love you, that's all right, right? I mean, you'd be happy with that. But God loves you, okay? The one that we have sinned against, he created us and we've sinned against him. If we're in, in God's family, he loves us. He's poured out his love on us, a settled love. Is, is that encouraging to you? Does that bring comfort? Even when it's tough, you're loved. It amazes me that my wife loves me. It, it does, and it probably amazes you. She didn't know what she was getting into, right? She thought I'd always be the sweet guy I was. And you know what? It's amazing that she loves me when I screw up, and I've screwed up often. And she loves me. 
And you know what? God loves you even more than my wife loves me. How do you know he loves you? He sent his son to die for you. I hope that comforts you this evening. No matter how tough it gets, remember there are the blessings of being in God's family. Well, we have encouragement in Christ. We have a comfort of love. What's the third thing? What is it? This is not brain science, right? I simply said it this way. We're indwelt by the Spirit. We're indwelt by God's Spirit. Okay? Um, doesn't come and go. When I trusted Christ, we call the baptism of the Spirit. Okay, I am indwelt by the Spirit. Uh, why is that a blessing of being in God's family that you're indwelled by the Spirit? What's the Spirit do in you? Any thoughts? Does he direct you? Is he really the down payment of your full and final salvation? He's the earnest of that, isn't he? And the Spirit lives within you and, and has power. You have power through the Spirit to bear the fruit of the Spirit. You know, Pastor reminded us on Sundays that we can never say, I just had to sin. I mean, that gap might be getting smaller and smaller between stimuli and response, but the Spirit lives within us and there is no temptation taken us, but it's such as common to man, God is faithful. And the Spirit gives us power to say no to our flesh and to say yes to God. The Spirit does that as he indwells us. He gives you direction. How many of you, I sometimes don't know what to do. And God's Spirit uses his word to direct me. And that's a blessing of being in God's family. Pretty cool, isn't it? There's a fourth thing, I think, in verse one that helps us to see the blessing of being in God's family. And remember, the point is, no matter how tough it gets, remember that there's a blessing of being in God's family. And I think the fourth point is, as he says, if any or sense there is, if any, affection and compassion. Uh, don't you love the King James translation of this? The old bowels of mercy, Right? And, uh, and what's he saying there? What's, what's, what's Paul saying? He's, he's talked about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And I think he's talking about then how the Father, Son, and Spirit, having just talked about the Spirit, bears fruit in our lives that we have a connection with others in God's family at a gut level, in the gut, in the center of our affections that we're, we're connected with one another. There's a heartfelt connection in the body of Christ. God has had compassion on you, and now we are to turn that into the tender mercies and compassion that I show to others in God's family, even though they don't deserve it. <laughs> but I didn't deserve it either. Okay? And he says, since this is true, these are the blessings or the privileges of being in God's family, and don't ever forget it in Christ loved by God, indwelt by the Spirit, and have true partners in this journey in the body of Christ, those who at the gut level ought to be next to me and helping me. We are together in Christ's body. We're together because we're all the same. We're in the same boat. What was, what's the boat we're in? Sinners who deserve God's wrath forever. If we're in Christ, in the body, we've been blessed and given Christ's righteousness secure 
and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That's us together. Who in here is better than somebody else? Nobody. Okay, we're all sinners who deserve God's wrath. And if we're in God's family, we're in Christ, we're together in that. And understand, as we're together, the Spirit generates strength in our togetherness. The Spirit generates strength in our togetherness. We're together, and in our togetherness, we can help each other become more like Christ than we ever could be by ourselves. I like to read and be reminded of James 5.16 that says there's a, there's a work of God's grace as I connect with somebody else and, and, and ask for their spiritual help and prayer in my life. So we confess our sins to one another. God works to bring about real spiritual healing, I believe, in our lives. These are all the blessings of being together in the body. And so we have partners. We have partners. I was talking about Lisa. I, hopefully I won't embarrass you. Lisa said she's been in, she's been overseas for 23 years. Is that hard to believe? She taught here for five and we were all younger back then and has been overseas for 23 years. What she told me, she said, you know what? This is my home. Even though I didn't grow up here, I grew up in New Jersey. I have more partners here in this church who pray for me and want my best interest and can't wait to see me. She's got back in Detroit. She hasn't stopped running since she got back to Detroit last week because she's just meeting up with people. And you know what? Know what that is? That's a church family that cares for one of its own. And even though they've been overseas for 23 years, has maintained that partnership in ministry. And that's just not her. There's so many people who give testimony that in our church family, we're together in this. I'm so glad that you're my partner. I'm so glad that I have partners. You know, things have happened in our life over the past few years, and it's been great to be able to go to people and say, would you please pray for me? Would you pray for me? Would you pray for our family? We need your prayer. And people come up to me and say, I'm praying for Hey, that's awesome. And I got to be somebody's prayer partner this spring, summer. They were going through a trial, and I set my phone every morning at 720 to go off so I could text them and pray for them. I did it for a while just because I wanted to be their partner in ministry. These are all the blessings of being in God's family. And aren't you glad for it? And by the way, none of these things get taken away. They only get better <laughs> because one day we'll get to worship together without sin with the Lord. And that's cool. So I think Paul says, no matter how bad it gets, remember there's the blessing of being in God's family. That's the first thing. I think the second thing that we see in this passage, in just these few verses, he says, secondly, no matter how much you enjoy being in God's family, no matter how much you enjoy that, remember, you have responsibilities in God's family. No matter how much you enjoy it, and it's awesome. There are responsibilities in God's family. My mother, she's not here. She's in the nursery, so I can say it. Uh, my mother, she, uh, there, was a, there was a belt in our house with a saying underneath it. I need thee every hour. And she used that regularly in our lives, all right? Many, many good things came out of that. 
You wonder why she's uh, the way she is, a little neurotic, you know, it was me. My mother used to say this, Tracy, this, is, this house is not a hotel, it's a household. I'm your mother, not your maid. Okay, and you can probably hear my mother saying that. Okay, what was she saying? Hey, listen, you're a fretzel. Yeah, you can stay here, but it ain't free lunch. Okay, you've got responsibilities. And how many of us sometimes kind of view our Christian life and our church family kind of, I come and I can kind of get what I want, but there's responsibilities there, aren't there? And I think this passage helps us to see that. I just see it in verse two as the inward responsibilities in my life. Okay, I, I said it this way that, you know, responsibility number one is that God wants me to become more like Christ. God wants me on the inside, who I am, to become more like Christ. He says in verse two, make my joy complete. By the way, when he says make my joy complete, what's he saying there? I was thinking about this. As a parent, you love your kids all the time, right? Remember that first, you know, walking, 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 daddy, you know. Oh, yes. My kids said daddy first. Uh, no, I don't know. I remember coming off the plane back in the day. We took the kids, kids to... Uh, to uh, Mexico, my, my parents watched our kids. I remember my mom having my daughter up there. Daddy, that's great, you know? You know what's even better than that? 20 some years later, when you see your kids wrestle through decisions and, and make good, right decisions, mature decisions. I mean, it's fun when they're little kids saying that, but it's even more when you see the maturity of years and you're like, where did that come from, right? But that's cool. And, and maybe that's what Paul's saying here. He says, you know, I love you kids, but I love it when you keep growing and maturing. He says, make my joy complete. In what way? Make my joy complete. Make it even more full by what? Being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit intent on one purpose. God wants me to become more like Christ personally. Okay? And, and again, there's four things that he describes what that maturity looks like. Okay, and quickly, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll finish quickly, I promise. But number one, there's a, there's a same mind that must be lived. There's a same mind. Paul wants to see them on the same page, on the same page. One time, Marsh and I were traveling, and uh, we we're going down south. And, and, and she said, I want to take the side roads home. Okay, that's cool. I'm thinking like five minutes, right? We get off the freeway on the parallel road to the freeway. Okay, you ready? No, no. She wanted to take the side roads home, okay? And she's done that, by the way, without, when I'm not with her, all right? I'm like two minutes off the main road. I'm like, we got to get back on there. I was tense, and there may or may not have been some tension in the car because we had two different mindsets, didn't we? She meant the whole way home, and I meant for just a couple of minutes. Paul says, hey, listen, believer, we ought to have the same mind, not two different kinds of mind, two different mindsets. We ought to have one mindset, one thought, one sense of what we're centered on. We're in Philippians 2, but, but certainly you, you've seen back to chapter 1, verse 27. What's it say in 127? 
He, he, with this passage in 2.1, I think he's getting back to what he had left off before he talked about their, their suffering and their conflict. 2.127 says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. We are to have one mind. Paul is concerned about this. He's mentioned that in the previous chapter and returns to it here. One mindset is that is Christ and God, what God wants us to do. The Apostle Paul says we must have one mind. Inner City Baptist Church, we must have one mind. And what is it? It is the mind of Christ. First Corinthians 2, 16 says that we have the mind of Christ. And that is revealed to us in the word of God. So we have, a, we have a mind, a one mind, which must be cultivated. We have a one mind, which must be, we must be unified about. We must live that one mind out in the body. Number two, verse, verse two, we must, we must maintain the same love. We have a love which must be maintained. In fact, Notice how he goes on to describe that in verses five through eight. And we won't look at that tonight, but you know, it, the mindset is of Christ loving us. How much did Christ love us? He loved us so much that even though he existed as God, he didn't grasp onto that. Rather, he willingly gave that up so he could do what? Love and serve us. We have a love which must be maintained. God has shown us that love. And we must grow in that love. We must grow. When I told Marsha that I loved her, coming up to 35 years uh, in December, 35 years, did I mean it when I stood in front of the in front of her with Dr. Rice 35 years ago almost when I said that? Did I mean I love you? I did. Does it mean a whole lot more 35 years later? It does. Our love for Christ must be maintained and grown in. We got to watch out for the things that would chip away at our love. How would you know? And by the way, tomorrow night, Pastor Jacob's going to speak and look forward to that message, kind of talking about helping us not be at odds with each other, dealing with the things that put us at odds with each other. But how would I know if I'm starting to struggle in my love for you? Get critical, judgmental, irritated. Okay. And when that happens, what do I got to do? I say, that's, a, that's, a, that's one of those yellow lights or red lights in our car. Hey, there's an issue. You got to maintain that. For me, I found the way to maintain that is to pray for you, to, to regularly, seriously pray for you. There's been people that I've been like this with, and, and just praying for them has changed my heart. It's changed my affections, really wanting God to bless them. I just challenge you. That's one of the ways that we can grow in love, maintain that love. There's a love which must be maintained. And whose, whose job is it to maintain that love? By God's grace, God expects me to do that. Hey, God has work for me to do. And that's the point. We must, we must, by God's grace, be changing and growing ourselves. There's a, there's a truth to be lived. There's a love to be maintained. There's a spirit which must be unified, one in soul, at the gut level. We're in it together. We're in it together. And what is it? Well, I think we see in the next one, 
it says at the end of verse 2, having said, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And what is that purpose that I have to be committed to? One thing, and that is Christ. That I, by God's grace, would be growing to be more like Christ. That's the most important thing that I could do by God's grace. That's God's goal for me. And whose job is it? By God's grace to grow in Christ's likeness, it's mine. I, you can't do it for me. I have to make those choices. And, um, and much more we can say about that. But the simple thing is, I said, no matter how difficult it is, remember there's blessings of being in God's family. And remember, no matter how good it is in God's family, you still have responsibilities. Number one, that I would become more like Christ. And then I think verses three and four tell us that not only is it my responsibility in verse two to become more like Christ, verse three and four say, it's my responsibility to help you become more like Christ. My natural tendency is to think, what's in it for me? And Paul reminds us there with those words. What's he say? Don't, don't look out for your own self. Do nothing from selfishness or, or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another is more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but for the interest of others. God wants me to help others become more like Christ. So their interests, what's really in their best interest? When I look at you and pray for you, I say, I say, what's in Ryan's best interest? God, give it to him and help me to be a means of grace in that way. God, see Debbie Wothy there. What does she really need? Oh, grace for dealing with that guy. No, no. Yeah, what does she need? God, help her. Okay, as I, as I, as I see you, because we're quick to think, what's, what can you do for me, right? And by God's grace, if we'll commit to, don't look out for your own interests, but look out for the interests of others. It's my responsibility, not only for me to, by God's grace, grow in Christ like this, but to help you grow in Christ like this. If I really have that goal for you, I'm going to make some, I'm going to have some difficult conversations, right? I mean, you don't know me. You, you know me. You don't really know me well, but I'm a people pleaser, man. I want people to say, yeah, good, good job, good job. And you know what? You can do that all the way to the detriment of somebody's soul. And if we really want the best for others, we'll pray for them. We'll seek their best interest. We'll do what we can by God's grace to help them. As members of God's family, we must together become more like Christ and fulfill Christ's mission for the church. What's Christ's mission? That we would become more like Christ. That, that What's he say? He says, go make disciples and do what? Teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end. In Exodus 17, we read the story of the Malachites who come up against the children of Israel. And Moses is there leading them. It's a fascinating story, the second half of, the, the second half of that chapter. And uh, God tells them what to do. Moses sees this coming and God says, hey, listen, send the people out to fight. And you take the rod and you seek me with that thing and I'll bless you. And you see the story that Joshua and the men are fighting on the field. And it says, as Moses lifted up his hands, I think a sign of dependence on God. 
He lifts up his hands. The battle goes well. He gets tired. The hands start going down. They start losing. So what happens? Yeah, Aaron comes on one side. Her comes on the other side. And they lift his hands up. And God does a mighty victory that day. It says that Moses built an altar there. And he called that altar, he called it Jehovah Nisi. Jehovah Nisi. You know what that means? The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my cause. And Moses and the people said, hey, we depend on God and the battle belongs to God. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner, my cause. Hey, listen, what banner are you putting up in front of your house? What banner are we lifting as a church family? Lots of banners that you can put up, a lot of causes. You know the one that really matters? Is the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my cause. In our time, in our dispensation, it's fulfilling the great commission and seeing more people and more churches like the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, I hope that's what we're together in this year. That's my prayer. That's my hope. That together... We will seek to become more like Christ. Can't do it alone. We need to do it together as a church family that will together become more like Christ and fulfill the mission that God has given for us. If God took 250 people from our church family and and we really bought into that and we're together, hip to hip, side to side, I got your back, you got my back, stirring up that love and that gut level mercy with each other. Be awesome what God could do for his glory in our church family. Hey, listen, if you don't know Christ, it really starts with that. Are you trusting Christ alone? Jesus came, he lived and he died so that he could be your righteousness. Not me, he could though. And he paid a price on the cross of the sin that I deserved. And God offers him to us if we'll turn from our sin and trust him. He's our only hope. Trust him, turn from your sin, trust him tonight. Come into God's family. It's awesome. But in God's family, we have responsibilities. Are we being diligent to carry those responsibilities out? Are we just viewing this as a hotel? We're viewing it as a household, a family for God's glory. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity we have this week to be together for a few days and a pickleball in the morning and a scavenger hunt in the evening. And yet, God, through it all, we pray that you would be the center of our thoughts, that your word would guide us, your spirit would control us, that Christ's love would compel us to pursue the purpose of our life being becoming more like him and fulfilling the mission that our church has given, that you've given our church to do. So we pray that you would work in our hearts. Anybody who's here tonight, God, we pray if they don't know Christ, give them life that they would turn from sin and trust him. If there's anyone who is just, just trudging along in sin, help us to love you and your cause, that we would turn from sin and, and, and follow you with all of our heart. Do that work in our lives, that we would with one voice, with one mind, with one heart, pursue your will, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.